You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. See you guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. As I try to say as often as I can, reminding us that we are the church. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastor elders of our church, the guy who gets to preach God's word most Sundays. Excited to do that this morning. Happy Mother's Day. This is one of those days where some of us come in, maybe the highs are a little higher than usual a little happier than the average Sunday. Others of us come in, maybe the lows are a little lower than the usual Sunday. And then some of us, maybe a mix of of both and, having experienced the joys that come with what comes to mind when we think of motherhood and then the loss and brokenness reminding us that we live in a world that's not as it should be. And, And as I try to say on days like today, which is true of any Lord's Day gathering of God's people, that we believe God's word meets us in the highest of our highs, the lowest of our lows, the mix of both and and everything in between. And so excited to, to dive into the scriptures, to open the scriptures with you guys this morning as we continue a sermon series that we began coming out of Easter, one that's going to carry us right up to the beginning of the summer, a walk through a handful of some of the Bible's most remarkable benedictions and doxologies, a quote that I've shared from the beginning of this series to try to help frame this up. Perhaps if this is your first Sunday, this might be helpful A.W. Pink says, a doxology is an ascription of praise. A benediction is a word of blessing. The one, a doxology, an ascription of praise, ascends from the heart of the saint to God, whereas the other, a benediction, a word of blessing, descends from God to the saint. With a doxology, we we lift our hands, palms down, as we ascribe praise to the, the one who is worthy of all glory and praise. With a benediction, we lift our hands Palms up in humble reliance and dependence and recognition that if we are to receive blessing, God must bestow it. An example, again, trying to help for those who may be coming in going, I don't fully understand the distinction between a doxology and a benediction. Give a couple of examples as I have for the last few weeks. Jude 25 would be an example of a doxology. To the only God, Jude says, our Savior Through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. To God be the glory. It's a doxology, an ascription of praise. A benediction, an example being 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, which is where we started this series. Where Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Paul speaking or pronouncing a word of blessing on the the saints in Corinth. The hope of this sermon series, it's a a both end. It's that we might more deeply marvel at God and increasingly ascribe praise to the one who's worthy of praise. And two, that we might grow in deeper understanding and enjoyment, appreciation of the many blessings that God bestows upon his people in Christ. Recognizing that the Christian life is a life lifted Hands in in heartfelt praise and in humble reliance. Palms up and palms down. 
And so with that, I'll invite you to open up your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. Feel free to utilize that Bible during our time together. If you don't own a copy of the scriptures, please take that with you. Uh, We'd love to know and be encouraged that you're exploring the truth claims of Christianity, diving into God's word on your own time, not just as we gather in moments like these. Let me pray for us, and and we'll go ahead and, and get into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, praise you that before the foundations of the world, it was decreed in your redemptive plan that you would send your son to die in the place of sinners like us. Praise you, Jesus, that you stooped into the slums of our broken world and accomplished that plan, living the life that none of us could live, a perfect, obedient, righteous life, carrying that record to the cross on our behalf, bearing our sins in your body on the tree, rising three days later, conquering our great enemies of Satan, sin, and death, rising, ascending to the right hand of the Father, our high priest and advocate even now. Having sent your Holy Spirit, we praise you, Holy Spirit, for applying this work of redemption to to the hearts of your redeemed. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures that we sit with now. The same Holy Spirit who moves in our midst as we gather in moments like these. Would you stir our hearts? Would you awaken our minds from their slumber? Would you give me a feeling sense of the very things that I preach along with everyone else in this auditorium right now? Would you meet us where we are? Would you encourage us where we need to be encouraged? Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted? Would you convict us where we need to be convicted? Would you exhort us where we need to be exhorted? And would you do all these things ultimately for your glory and for our good and joy? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thessalonica, as I mentioned in each week of this series, we're, we're trying hard not to take any given benediction or doxology and just slap it onto a coffee mug out of context or put it into a nice frame and up on the wall without any understanding of where it came from, where it finds its place in any one of these writings found in Scripture. And so Thessalonica, to give us some context, was an incredibly important seaport uh, situated roughly 100 miles southwest of Philippi, the second largest city in Greece at the time with a population of roughly 200,000 people, a little smaller than Fayette and Cowena counties combined, a city that the Apostle Paul visited on his second missionary journey along with his friend and fellow co-laborer Silas, where he spent Three Sabbath days, we're told in the book of Acts, in the Jewish synagogue, reasoning from the scriptures that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So that a a great many Jewish and Greek people came to give their lives to Jesus. Didn't come without its persecution. As many in the city formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, accusing the believers in Thessalonica of acting against the decrees of Caesar himself in declaring the kingship of another, namely Jesus. The persecution so extreme that Paul and Silas were driven out of the city, torn from a body of believers that they had grown to deeply love and care for. 
Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica written in response to a report that Paul received from, from Timothy in the wake of Paul's departure. One declaring that the believers in Thessalonica were indeed thriving, though surrounded by all kinds of pressures, sufferings, and persecution. The purpose of the letter, to both encourage and exhort them. The first three chapters, Paul's celebration and expression of gratitude, having received from Timothy the good news of their faith, hope, and love. The last two chapters, Paul's urging that they live a life pleasing to God. The hope of Jesus' return motivating and inspiring their faithfulness to him. A letter which Paul brings to a close with, among other things, a benediction, a word of blessing. As Paul declares, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. As I mentioned last week, the the charted course of this sermon series has us sitting with a a benediction one week, a word of blessing, and a doxology the next, an inscription of praise, a back and forth steady diet, blessing and praise, blessing and praise. Having spent last week with one of the more well-known doxologies, nestled right in the middle of Paul's letter to the saints in Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power within us, to him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This morning... Our attention directed to one of the many benedictions or words of blessing that we find throughout the writings of the New Testament. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. First part of this word of blessing, a prayer for holiness, for the sanctification of God's people, God's redeemed Paul, having earlier written in this very same letter, chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That God's will for his redeemed is that we would grow in holiness and righteousness. That we would increasingly become in practice what we've already been declared to be positionally in Jesus Christ. I've used this example before, and I'll probably use it again. When, When my wife and I were married on our wedding day... We were pronounced the two becoming one in that moment, declaratively. And then, as I've jokingly said before, we had everything figured out on the other side of the honeymoon. Choreless, squared away, divided out, love languages spoken perfectly to each other, back and forth, reciprocally. No, that's not how it works, right? For, for the rest of our marriage, we will continue to grow in practice to become more and more what we've already been declared in position to be. And Lord willing, maybe one day, should we grow to both become old and gray, one of us will die not too long after the other because we've just been knit together in love with with, with such a richness and a beauty, having lived this out. We live in an instant gratification society. The doctrine of progressive sanctification, perhaps difficult to embrace, frustrating, sobering truth that it will take the the entirety of our lives to increasingly and progressively grow in holiness and righteousness. 
No purchase with one click button as we find on Amazon. No magical Popeye the Sailor Man can of spinach that will immediately transform us into the glorified versions of ourselves. Paul's words too, flying in the face of an easy believism as we talk about a lot around here. This idea that we can embrace Jesus as Savior without embracing him as Lord, his kingship. As Jesus died not only to save us from sin's penalty, but also sin's power. And someday sin's presence altogether. Paul takes the better part of the the last two chapters of this letter to the church in Thessalonica to give expression of what a, a life of holiness and righteousness is like, leaving no stone unturned in declaring Uh, Near the end, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22. What does Paul say there? He says, abstain from every form of evil. That's a junk drawer phrase. Arguably the most demanding imperative in all of Scripture. Leaving God's people to declare, at least those who have any sense of poverty of spirit, who is sufficient for these things. Which Paul follows with this morning's benediction. The aim of which is to encourage us where we might otherwise be discouraged. As Paul writes, now, may the God of peace sanctify you himself, sanctify you completely. Sanctification, the work of God in us. Another way to say it, God himself works to make his people holy. It's not to say that we have no responsibility, right, as it pertains to our progressing In holiness, Paul doesn't say passively sit around and wait for God to sanctify you. We're to run the race. We're to fight the good fight. Rather, it is to say that we're not alone in this fight. We're not alone in this race. As Paul says elsewhere, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in you, or because God is at work within you. Human responsibility and divine agency. We work out because God works in. God's presence and power enabling our progress. Another example, Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, Paul says. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Believers actively putting to death the deeds of the body by the sin-killing power of the enabling Holy Spirit. We work out because God works in God's power and presence enabling our progress. As the author of Hebrews writes in another of the Bible's great benedictions, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from The dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Okay, so the author of Hebrews is saying this this is a God of resurrection power who's risen Jesus from the dead. May he do what? May he equip you with everything good so that you can do what? So that you may do his will. Working in us, God is, that which is pleasing in his sight. 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We work out because God works in. God's presence and power enabling our progress. One of my old seminary professors, John Frame, in his systematic theology says it this way, uh, pertaining to sanctification. He says, so as in many other contexts, many other chapters in the systematic theology book, so divine sovereignty and human responsibility, they're not opposed. They're not at odds. The former divine sovereignty works through the latter human responsibility, as well as sometimes working above it and beyond it, God does. The latter, that is we, always depend on the former, that is God. But our role in sanctification, he says, is never passive. Our work is to fight, to run the race, to pursue holiness. The imperatives or commands leading up to this morning's benediction in this incredible book of the Bible, they're Paul's unpacking of what it means to fight, what it means to run the race, what it means to fight the good fight, to pursue holiness, human responsibility. The benediction itself encouraging us to run this race and fight this fight, knowing and trusting that God himself is at work in us to make us holy. Divine sovereignty. We work out again because God works in his presence and power enabling our progress. And lest we forget what, what kind of enabling power we're talking about, going back to last week's doxology, Ephesians 3 verses 20 and 21 Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. A God whose power stretches beyond all that we could ever ask. A God whose power breaks the banks of our imaginations so that whatever we might think his power to be, it's immensely greater. His infinite power, not only at work in controlling the decay of an atom in the most distant galaxy, but to his infinite power, Ephesians 3, at work within us. God himself at work in us to make us holy. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The word himself, what's known as an intensive pronoun, stressing God's primary role and personal commitment to our sanctification. And not simply God, but God himself. The God of peace, Paul says, reminding us that peace and holiness are in a sense inseparable. In that we experience God's peace as we walk in his statutes. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The word completely from the Greek word holoteles. It's a combination of two Greek root words. The one meaning whole the other meaning to the end, whole and to the end. Another way of saying fully and finally. May the God of peace himself sanctify you fully and finally in every way and for all eternity. And Paul says, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, Paul continues to uh, emphasize the comprehensive nature of God's saving work with the language of spirit, soul, and body. Here speaking of the whole of our being. Similar to Jesus' command to love the Lord with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. 
May the whole of your being be kept blameless, Paul says, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's sanctifying work, a guarding work, a keeping work, a preserving work. So that someday his sanctifying work in our lives will give way to his glorifying work in our lives. Meaning that, in one sense, we who are in Christ will be presented blameless or faultless before God legally. The doctrine of justification, having been justified not by our works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. The righteousness of Christ having been reckoned to our account, so that it's as if we ourselves had lived the righteous life that God requires. As we sing on occasion, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless or blameless, to use Paul's language, to stand before the throne. In one sense, we who are in Christ will be presented blameless or faultless before God legally, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, the righteousness of Christ having been reckoned to our account. Coming back to this morning's passage, God's sanctifying work in our lives, evidence that we indeed stand among the justified. In another sense, we who are in Christ will be presented blameless or faultless before God's spirit, soul, and body. God's great work of our glorification, the future outcome of God's sanctifying work in our lives You might say now being made progressively holy, someday to be made perfectly holy. Glorified bodies and souls without blemish or fault, shining with the brightness of Christ's glory for his glory. So that there's a now and not yet aspect of God's transforming work, a promise for what God is doing now and for what God will do when Christ returns. Perhaps see it more Clearly, even in the the parallel word of blessing in the middle of this letter to the saints in Thessalonica, as Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints." Paul prays that the Lord would, in the present, in the now, make them increase and abound in love so that, Paul says, he might establish their hearts blameless in holiness before him when Christ returns. Sanctification now, giving way to glorification future. He who calls you, Paul says, is faithful. He will surely do it. This benediction ending with a word of assurance, a promise that we can trust God to answer Paul's prayer for God's redeemed. He will do it. More than that, he will surely do it. What is the it that God will surely do? Verse 23. He, the God of peace himself, will surely sanctify us completely and will keep blameless our whole spirit and soul and body at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification now, progressive conformity to the image of Christ now, giving way to glorification future when we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. 
He will surely do it, Paul says. How do we know? How can we trust that he will? He who calls us is faithful. Not only strong in power, but too true to his promises. As Paul writes elsewhere, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul reassures us that the fullness and finality of both our sanctification and our glorification as God's redeemed rests ultimately not on we the redeemed, but on he the redeemer. And that's meant to not discourage us, but to encourage us to run the race, to to fight the fight. If you feel like you're losing in this fight, the fact that you feel that angst within you means God is at work. Be encouraged to run the race, to fight the fight, knowing and trusting that, that God is working in us. Even now, this morning, the many means of grace that are ours for the taking as we come together on the Lord's day. His promised presence and power enabling our our progress. He who calls us is faithful. He will surely do it. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.